0: I'm glad that everybody is with us here this morning. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 1 and John chapter 20 this morning. If you've got a Bible and you want to follow along, I would highly encourage that. Now, I am a competitive person. I like to win. I will tell you... That as I have gotten older and as I've become to love Jesus a whole lot, I have been delivered from that hyper competitive win at all costs, cheat if you must type of, type of winning. Uh, the only reason I ever even went to church in high school. Was so I could play sports. The church that I went to, we played sports all the time. That was the only reason to go to church, is to play sports. And the the church that that I was at, they were in this youth association, and we would go over uh, one Saturday a month, and it would be kind of an all-day type of thing, and we would play sports. We couldn't get to the sports until uh, the boring youth pastor finished his message So this youth association, we would go over and uh, we would play sports. And the thing was, we were really good. We always won. And I am not exaggerating. We always won. The church I was with, we always won. No matter what it was, whether we were playing softball, flag football, volleyball, basketball, we always won. And after about a year and a half of just getting beat every month, I guess these people got really, really tired of it, because there was a church in in Dallas that was going to host the next event, and they were a bunch of goat-robing Aggies anyway, but they decided that they were going to challenge us to do something that they were good at, a rodeo, a rodeo. They, They had access to the animals, they had access to the facilities, And they challenged all the other youth groups to a rodeo, assuming that we just wouldn't get involved because I didn't know anything about a rodeo. Au contraire. Like I said, hyper-competitive. The moment they said, you can't do it, I'm going to do it, right? So I showed up for this rodeo, and here's all these guys' big cowboy hats on, got their Wrangler jeans on, got their boots on, Belt buckle about the size of a dinner plate. I showed up in a t-shirt, a pair of Levi's, and my Adidas. That's what I was wearing. And I signed up to ride a bull. So we had to draw, draw out of a hat the name of the bull that you were going to ride. And I pulled this out. I handed it to the guy, and he looked at it. And he said, oh, you drew baby. I said, baby? Is that good? Who's baby? And he said, don't worry about it baby is a family pet. And I said, really, which one is it? He said, it's that red bull behind you. And this is not a lie. This is not preacher speak. This is not even a fishing tale, okay? I start to turn around and there's, there's these bulls in the stockade and they're, they're just being normal bulls. They're just there. I turn around and look, and there is a red bull behind me up on his back legs with his hoofs on the fence going, Right about that moment, I thought I'm gonna die. (laughs) What have I gotten myself into? What am I doing? It came my turn. I slid down on top of that bull. It was a whole lot bigger than I thought it was gonna be. I didn't even know how to tie, you know, what they do. They tie their hands in. And so they had to tie it for me. The chute opens, and this bull goes to bucking. You're supposed to ride the bull for eight seconds. I think I rode the bull for about eight tenths of a second. That bull threw me. I landed on my backside. I lost. I did not win. Somebody else won that day. I don't like being the loser. Hmm. But if you think about it, you know who does love losers? God loves losers, yeah, the answer is always Jesus. God loves losers. God loves people. The older that, I've, the older that I have gotten in my faith, I now realize how much God loves losers. He loves redeeming the biggest messes and using them to advance the kingdom. So we're finishing up this morning with the second chance people and our Easter message is losers club. Losers club. We have to realize that we are lost, aka losers without God. But he's got a big plan for rehabilitated losers. I wanna show you a loser's family tree. So first thing I wanna show you is a loser's family tree. God loves messy people just like you and me so much that he loves grafting these messy people into his own story. God went so far as to use losers in Jesus' family tree. You know, some of us, we've got crazy family. We got crazy messed up family and Jesus can relate. So we're in Matthew chapter one, starting in verse one. It says, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, if you're just reading that, There is no reason to even stop. It's like, so what? But when you know the backside of the story, you're just going like, oh wow. Jesus has messed up people in his family. And you can start with Abraham. Before Abraham was the the father of many nations, before Abraham was the one that that, uh, the word says that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, he was a liar. He was a liar twice. Twice, not one time, we always mess up one time, but twice at the same thing. He told people that his wife was his sister. Why? Because he was afraid that they would kill him to get his wife because she was so beautiful. And like father, like son, Isaac comes along And he tells people that his wife, Rebecca, was his sister because he was afraid they would kill him because she was so beautiful. Now, I totally understand. I am married to a beautiful woman, but I have never told anybody she's my sister. (laughs) Not one time. Then comes Jacob, the grandfather, I mean, the grandson of, of Isaac. Here comes Jacob. His name means trickster. Jacob tricked his brother out of his birthright, tricked him out of his blessing, figured out a way to to, to scheme his father-in-law out of the the best of the flocks, all before he met God. And here's the worst of all, there comes Judah. You know, the Bible says that, that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, so Judah must have been just this, this wonderful man of God, right? Or this wonderful warrior that we can just look at his life and pattern ourselves after him, right? No. <laughs> Judah got his daughter-in-law pregnant. And it doesn't sound any better when you say, well, he didn't realize it was his daughter-in-law. He thought it was a prostitute. Right? <laughs> This is Jesus' family tree. Shall we go on? (laughs) In verse five, it says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab was an outcast and a prostitute from the city of Jericho, but God gave her a second chance. And she married a Hebrew, and she's in the family tree of Jesus. Verse six, Jesse was the father of King David. And you know, many scholars believe that David was was either born of a prostitute or born of someone besides Jesse's wife. The last part of verse 6 says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Now we're talking about David, King David. David. Yeah, the same one that that killed Goliath. The one that the Bible says is a man after God's own heart. But there was this little time in David's life when he forgot about being a man after God's own heart and he decided to be a peeping Tom. Got somebody else's wife pregnant. Then had her husband killed so he could marry her to cover up his sin. And he's in the family tree. Wow. Wow. To top it all off, Jesus was born to a mom who was pregnant before she was married. Don't you know that caused talk on the block? And guess what? It wasn't just his family tree. The whole neighborhood was jacked up. God gave second chances to messy people all throughout the Bible. Moses was a murderer, and he ran away from justice before God gave him a second chance and he became the deliverer of Israel. Samson, as one uh, preacher said, he was the muscle bound love hound. (laughs) He's chasing after the wrong women, chasing after the wrong women. And what happens when you chase after the wrong women? You lose your ministry and your eyesight. Remember that, guys. There was Peter, Peter, who wanted to be the, the, the chief of the apostles, he wanted to be in charge. Peter, the one that said, Jesus, I'll die with you. But he's the very one that denied Jesus the morning that he was crucified. But God gave him a second chance, didn't he? Gave him a second chance, and he preached the sermon that birthed the church on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people were saved. Then there's Paul, the apostle Paul. Paul the man that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. When he he was known as Saul, he was such a religious zealot that he believed if you worship differently than me, you should die. But God gave him a second chance, and he turned a regional sect of believers into a movement that changed the world. God loves messy people. What about the ladies? Is it always the guys? Guys are always messing up, right? What about the ladies? One of my favorite characters, we don't know a whole lot about her, but Fotina, the five time loser in love at the well. Five times, five times, she was looking for something outside of, of, of what the Lord can give. She was looking for, for acceptance and love in a relationship. Five times. Five times she was looking for for water from a well that she shouldn't have been drawing from. But then she met the one that says, ask of me and I'll give you a drink and you'll never thirst again. God gave her a second chance and she became an evangelist. First to the city that she lived in, the very city that she was an outcast in. And she ran in and began to evangelize immediately. Orthodox history tells us that she she was an evangelist far and wide and that she even preached to Nero and preached so well that Nero's daughter got saved. Those second chance people. And then there's Mary Magdalene. Scripture tells us that Jesus healed her of sickness and cast seven demons out of her. She was given a second chance, and she became a follower of Jesus, supported his ministry financially. She was at the crucifixion. When all the boys ran away to hide, she was at the crucifixion. And she was the first one there to find the the empty tomb on the very first Easter Sunday morning. And that's where we're going to pick it up in John chapter 20, verse 1. It says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, and she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said, they've taken away the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So uh, Peter and John, they run out to the tomb, And they're looking, and it is empty, obviously. There is some confusion going on. There's some wondering going on. Uh, John says at that moment, he began to believe. But, okay, there was obviously some disbelief also. And eventually, as verse 10 says, they just went home. They just went home. They came and they looked, they saw, and they just went home. But Mary was standing outside the tomb this is what i love about mary everybody else leaves she's gonna stay mary was standing outside the tomb crying and as she wept she stooped and looked in she saw two white robed angels one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of jesus had been lying dear woman why are you crying the angels asked her because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. Now, why is there so much confusion? Why is there still a, a, an area of disbelief? If you walked in and angels are suddenly speaking to you, it would probably say something different going on, right? Oh, so y'all talk to angels all the time. That's what I'm, that's what I'm getting by this silence. Oh, you don't, Pastor Chris? There were angels at the foot of my bed when I got up this morning. Yeah, all the time. (sighs) So why was there so much confusion? Why was it easier to believe that someone had taken the body than he had risen from the dead like he told his disciples that he would? Why was it so much easier? Because Mary... She had watched the the brutality of that death. So let's shift gears for just a minute and let's look at what actually happened on Good Friday. What actually happened on Good Friday? You know, um, we've been around church long enough and we've heard the story of the cross so many times. Sometimes we just gloss over it. Sometimes we forget how brutal what Jesus did. And could Jesus have come at any time? I mean, could he have come when they were, you know, putting a needle in you and putting you to sleep? He came at the time when it was the most brutal. So I'm just going to read a description of what happened to Jesus You know, when they were writing the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there didn't need to be a description of what was really going on because they had seen it. But here, a couple thousand years later, sometimes we just need to hear the description of what was really going on. So I'm going to ask you, even though you've probably heard this, just kind of erase that memory and just listen to this as if you were hearing it for the first time. You may even want to shut your eyes and just visualize what's going on. Before they even got to the crucifixion, he was scourged. And the goal of scourging was to weaken the victim to a state just short of death. Death. You know, crucifixion was, 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 was such a horrible way to die, but they didn't die just by being nailed up on a cross. That wasn't the point. The point was, was, was agony. The point was, was terror. There are reports of people being on the cross for days and days and days and days. But before they even got to the cross, they stopped at the whipping post. And as the Roman soldier began to strike his back, you've got to understand this is not some little Indiana Jones bullwhip that he had. You know, it wasn't a towel like you're playing around in the locker room popping each other with a towel. You know you did it. So This whip had, in, in, the, in the long uh, leather part of it, it had embedded in it balls of iron. So when it hit the body, it wasn't just a pop or a sting. It was sinking into the body and causing contusions. And at the end of the whip, where the thongs were, they, they had uh, bone and metal woven into it. So as, as the metal balls hit the body, then the rest of the whip would wrap around and it would grab hold of the skin and then they would rip it out. So you have to understand, after just one or two strikes, they're no longer just hitting skin, the the outer layer. They're digging into muscle. And eventually, they're they're even hitting uh, skeletal muscle. Those balls being... with such force hitting, it could break ribs. And the pain and the blood loss led to circulatory shock. So the the person to be crucified was already in shock before they even got to the place of being crucified. And then when they were crucified, the nail wasn't driven through the, the hand like we might, we might think, you know, that would be painful enough, but there's not enough bone and, and, and muscle and tissue to, to hold that up. That could easily just be ripped out. They drove the spike, and let me talk about a spike too, it wasn't, you know, a, a nail, It was more like a a railroad spike. They drove it through the wrist down here so they could get a hold of bone and hold up the arm. And when they drove that spike through the wrist, it would sever the large median nerve. And it would cause just excruciating pain to start to shoot through the whole arms. And beyond that pain, the posture of crucifixion was so painful to even breathe. The weight of the body pulling down on the arms and the shoulders made it feel like you could breathe out, but you couldn't breathe in. The lack of oxygen led to muscle cramps, which made it even harder to breathe. But to get a good breath you would have to push up on the feet that have also been nailed to the cross. You would have to pull with those arms that have those spikes going through them and pull up like that to even get a full breath of air. And in that moment, I'm sure there were many who had been nailed to a cross who would have cursed those who had put them on that cross. But as Jesus pulled up and took a breath of air, he said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They really don't know what they're doing. How bad was crucifixion? Our English word excruciating comes from the Roman term out of the cross. Listen to Isaiah 53. Verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Now, I know this is a prophecy that is being fulfilled in the crucifixion of Jesus. But we need to ask ourselves, do we sometimes turn away from the power of the cross? We've heard it so many times that we forget that it affects every decision that we make. The cross, the sacrifice of Jesus not just so we could have a place in heaven. Thank God for that. But the power of a cross is here so we can live every day as well. So we can live in freedom, not bound by sin. Do we sometimes look away? Do we sometimes say, hey, I would rather be moved by this. I'm looking for acceptance over here instead of acceptance in this thing that's really kind of gruesome. But this is the only place that I'm truly gonna find acceptance. The only place I'm truly gonna be who God called me to be. The only place I'm really gonna get free from sin. Sometimes we look away. And I'm not throwing stones, we're all guilty. I'm just as guilty as you are. We look away as if we didn't care. Verse four says, yet it was our weakness that he carried. It wasn't his own weakness. Up there, when it says that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief, that's our grief that he is carrying. That is our sorrows that he is carrying. In fact, it goes on to say, he, it was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought that his trouble was a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced. Listen to this. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we can be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Are you hearing that? Mary saw this in real time. She saw this in real life going on. She watched Jesus torn apart by the scourging, and she saw the agonizing death on the cross. Jesus was dead, and she knew it. Back to John chapter 20. Verse 14 says, She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying, Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, If you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned and cried out, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now think about this. Jesus did not appear to the big three, Peter, James, and John. He appeared to this loser that he found along the way. He appeared to this woman who was still so grateful and so passionate for the freedom that Jesus had brought to her that she just wanted to be near him, even if he was dead. Even if he was dead, do we have that kind of passion? Jesus loves losers. In Luke 19, he said that he came to seek and save the lost, AKA the loser. The best news is when he finds us, we're no longer losers. (laughs) You know what? I'm now in God's family, but I came along with a whole lot of mess. And getting rid of all the mess is probably a lifelong journey. But let me tell you, he is a redeemer of mess. He is a restorer of brokenness. And he is a rehabber of destiny. Oh, Lord. I tried to ride a bull named Baby one time. But I lost. (laughs) Was not the best moment of my life. But you know, at the exact same time, I was riding a bull called Sin. And it was bucking harder than that bull ever thought about bucking. But for some reason, I wanted to hang on to it more than I wanted to hang on to that bull. The best moment of my life was when I realized that I was lost. And that he was seeking for me. He was looking for me. And now I am a passionate second chance person. I'm a passionate second chance person. There's not a day that goes by that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross does not affect my life. I don't save it for Sundays, I don't save it for Easter. I wake up in the morning, I want the first words out of my mouth to be, God I worship you because I remember what I was. I know, I know the brokenness. I know the place of addiction, I know it. But that cross changed my life. So yeah, I'm passionate about it. I like to yell about it sometimes. What about you? God has never been afraid to look into the mess of anyone's life. In fact, he does that, and he always says, love covers a multitude of sin. Love covers the mess. Love covers the inconsistencies. In my life. And every time he exposes something new to me, he's not just trying to beat me over the head with with some kind of sin consciousness. What he's trying to do is say, I've redeemed you to be better. He reminds me of the righteousness that now dwells inside of me because I am the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. He reminds me who I am. So I run back to the cross. I run back to the cross. So don't let this be an Easter Sunday message. Let it be a resurrection day declaration. It can be a day of second chances. It can be a day of second chances. You know what we like to say around here? That we want to help people take their next step in Christ. Whether it's their first or their hundred and first. There's there is a time when we have to come and understand. I can't do this on my own. I have tried to do it on my own. I've made a mess of it. I'm a loser. But Lord, I thank you for redeeming losers. And then sometimes we come into this relationship and we come into it with, with a lot of emotion. But guess what? The world does not stop spinning and the enemy doesn't stop throwing things at you. He's gonna make it difficult and, and he throws something at you and he says, look, God didn't protect you. He's always trying to blame it on God. And we stop and we push back. And we go, God, you didn't protect me. What's going on, God? Or maybe it's just the pattern of life. We get into a routine. We get a job, we get a mortgage, we get a family, we get kids. And it just seems like the passion that was there begins to wane. you need a second chance. I'm gonna ask Pastor Sam and Pastor Roger to come up here with me. Because what you see up here, three pastors, we've all had second chances. We've all had our issues. We've all had our stuff. we've, We've all tried to ride that bull called life. But we've had a second chance. I'm gonna ask Pastor Sam to pray. But what I want to give you an invitation for is a second chance. What do you need a second chance at? If you've never, never, maybe you thought you had, but you've never really, you know, I grew up in church. I, would have, I could have told you how to get saved. I had just never done it. If you've never made a real uh, decision to have a relationship with Jesus, how can you tell if it's real? Is it real? (laughs) Is it real? Is it alive in you? So if your relationship with Jesus doesn't feel real, it doesn't feel alive right now, whether it's your first time or your 101st time, God's very patient. At the same time, we may be full of of just devil-stomping Christians in here this morning. And that's okay. Just as a step of saying, no matter what, no matter what life throws at me, no matter what comes along, I'm going to do it through the power of the cross. So as Pastor Sam prays, but I'm telling you, God wants to start something amongst his people. What a great day to start it. Amen. Easter, Resurrection Day, right? So, Pastor Sam, would you pray?
1: Amen. Let's pray. Father, we really do. We come to you. And God, I just have to just join with Pastor Chris and say, God, I thank you for all of the second chances that you've given me. God, for the second chances, God, when my, my attitude was wrong, God, when there were sin was there sin in my life, when there were times, God, when I was just confused and didn't uh, didn't have a plan, didn't understand, God, uh, that I could put my trust fully in you, God, when I doubted, when I wavered, God, I just thank you that you are God who loves us fully and completely. You never take your eyes off of us. You never give up on us. So no matter what, pl- what uh, thing is going on in our life, where we hurt, where we are broken, God, where there's discouragement, God, right now, right now, Father, I ask that you would just reach out by the power of your Holy Spirit, reach into the lives of every man, woman, boy, and girl that's here today, and begin to stir in their hearts your great love. Let them know. Let them know they've not gone too far. They've not missed out. They've not given up. God, they've not uh, turned away so far that they can't come and receive a second chance in you. So right right now, God, I just ask you, I ask you in a very special way to come and to bring forgiveness. And just uh, pray this with me in the morning. God, today we just say come and forgive us. Come and forgive us of our sin. Forgive us of our shortcomings. Forgive us of our failures. Forgive us of our doubt. Forgive us, God, of our our being passionless and casual. Forgive us today, oh God. Give us a second chance to, to be who you've created us to be, to live the life that you've created us to live, oh God. Father, right now, give us a second chance to just experience your forgiveness, your grace, your goodness, your love, your freedom. God, for any person this morning that's dealing with an addiction, God, that's dealing with any type of, of stronghold or bondage in their life, God, we declare today that you give them a second chance to live in freedom and to live in wholeness, to live in health and strength in the name of Jesus. And so, God, I declare and decree over every person here today that the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead will dwell in them, will quicken them, will make them alive to live victoriously in and through Jesus Christ. Thank you for doing that today. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. In the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, for it's in his name we pray and everybody said, Amen.